like for you to do something with me as we begin today. I would like for you to close your eyes, and then I'm going to give you a word, and I would like for you to just, just uh, imagine the first thing that comes to your mind when I give you this word. So let's all, let's all participate. If you wouldn't mind, just close your eyes just for a second. The word I want to say is Jesus. Now you can open your eyes. When you think of Jesus, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? For some of you, when you hear the word Jesus, you think about how Jesus cared for people, how that Jesus had this amazing heart of compassion, how that he, he cleansed the leper, or maybe how that he fed thousands of people. For others of you, when you thought of Jesus, the first thing that came to your mind maybe was Jesus' teaching. He was an amazing teacher. He, he taught in such interesting ways. For others of you, maybe your mind went to the cross, or some of you remembered last Sunday morning's message when Jesus comes riding into town on a donkey, and maybe that's the first thing that came to your mind. But I wonder, did anyone, when they thought of Jesus, did anyone think about those moments when Jesus was angry? Now, we know Jesus was full of love, but there are those moments in his ministry when he was angered. And that raises an interesting question in my mind. What is it that, that causes Jesus to become angry? Now, in light of what's transpired this past week, I almost decided to change our sermon theme and text, and that would have been okay, and, and we could have done that. But the more I thought about the text that was prepared for today, the more I, I meditated on this passage of Scripture that we were going to talk about, the more I thought there's a word in this passage that maybe we need to hear, especially on a day like today. And so if you're a guest today, we're looking at the very last week of Jesus' life. We've said that's the most important week in the life of the most important person who ever walked the planet, and today... Today we're on, on Monday. The passage that we're looking at, if you have your Bibles, we're going to take just a moment or two, is in Mark chapter 11. And this really is one of the strangest and most interesting moments in the ministry of Jesus. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus is very much acting like an Old Testament prophet. Now, we know these prophets are, are enigmatic characters. They're, they're strange people. They, they do things that, that people will remember forever. And a lot of times, prophets not only will just preach a message, but they will, in fact, embody that message. And as a result, people never forget what they say. I think this moment in Jesus' ministry is something that his disciples never forgot, nor will we. Now, last Sunday morning, we saw that Jesus comes into town. He comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And as he does, the people hail him as king. They wave palm branches. They give him the red carpet treatment. But in Mark chapter 11, we find the detail about how when Jesus comes into town on Sunday, the first thing he does is he gets off the donkey and he, he goes into Jerusalem and he, he walks into the temple. He doesn't say anything. He just looks around. And then he and the disciples, according to Mark 11, they go back to Bethany and they spend the night there. And his disciples must have been wondering, what's going on? What's going to happen? <clears throat> 
And so the next day, Jesus gets up, and they make their way back toward Jerusalem. But before they get into town, they, they do a little side trip. They make a detour. Mark tells us that they see a, a tree in the distance. They were hungry. They see this fig tree in the distance. And from a little ways away, Jesus saw that it was, it was loaded with, with lush green leaves. But when Jesus gets up to the tree and he begins looking through the tree, he doesn't see any nubs. It's a little early for figs yet. He doesn't see any figs. And so Jesus does something that he, he wants the disciples to hear. He does something that's really kind of strange and bizarre if you think about it. Jesus doesn't speak to his disciples. He doesn't preach to them. Jesus looks at that tree and he says to the tree, may no one ever eat from you again. And Mark is careful to tell us that the disciples hear this. It's as if he wants them to hear this. And we wonder, what's going on? Why did he speak to the fig tree in this way? And then he and the disciples, they continue on their way to Jerusalem. And when they get to Jerusalem, they make a beeline for the temple. And when he gets to the temple, he he goes into the court of the Gentiles. Now, something you need to know about the the temple in the ancient world is it had several courts. There was the outermost court. It was the court of the Gentiles. If you were a Gentile man or woman, you could go into that court and no further. And then beyond that, there was the court of the women. If you were a Jewish woman, you could go there. And then beyond that, there was the, they called it the court of the Jews. And if you were a Jewish male, you could go to that court. And then there was the actual temple precinct itself. And it was subdivided into two big categories. There was the holy place and the most holy place. The holy place, only the priests could go there and they would minister and serve there. And then there was the most holy place. And in that place, the high priest could enter only one time a year and that was on the Day of Atonement. On this day, the court of the Gentiles, there's a beehive of activity. It's teeming with people. And in the midst of everything, Jesus walks in. This story that we're going to read about and think about for just a moment is so important that all four gospel writers include it in their accounts. And when Jesus walks into the court of the Gentiles, he doesn't fly off the handle. He's not out of control. Jesus knows exactly what he's going to do. He walks into the court of the Gentiles. He begins driving out those who are buying and selling. He overturns tables. Coins skip across the marble uh, floors. Doves flap. Jesus won't allow anyone or anything to occur in that outer court, at least for a moment. Jesus Jesus causes all activity to stop. Jesus is like an Old Testament prophet here. He's he's like an Isaiah or a Jeremiah. And it's not that Jesus is concerned or upset about buying doves for the poor or exchanging money. He's not concerned about the the necessary commerce that happened in that moment. Jesus, in a very prophetic way, says what's happening here is going to end. 
And we know 40 years from this moment, the temple is destroyed. But I want to know, what was it that Jesus was doing? What was it that upset Jesus? All this seems strange, this business of speaking to this lush green fig tree and then going into the, to the court of the Gentiles. You see, both the temple and the tree both look beautiful and fruitful, and yet there was no life. You see, Jesus was concerned about something far deeper than mere commercial activity in the outer court. Jesus knew more was at stake. You see, he knew that this was symbolic, that the tree interpreted the temple and the, and the temple interpreted the tree in a, in a sense, and he knew that though it looked like there was health and life, there really was not. In all my years of teaching this text out of Mark chapter 11, I, I missed an important detail that I, I saw just recently. In verse 17, as, as Jesus was doing all the things he was doing in the, in the temple, it says, and as he taught them. What Jesus was doing is not arbitrary. He's not flying off the handle. What he's doing is designed to teach us something. Now, I want to know, what is it that we're to learn here? Listen to Jesus' words. I think they tell us so much. Jesus says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations? The temple was hugely important to a Jewish person. In their minds, the temple was the intersection of heaven and earth. God dwelled in the most holy place. And Jesus says, here's what I want to transpire here. I want this to be a place of prayer for everyone, for all nations. Mark is the only one, as he quotes Isaiah, that mentions the all nations part. And I think that's really what Jesus is emphasizing, the idea of all people, all nations. If we took the time, he's quoting from Isaiah 56, if we took the time in Isaiah to read the first six verses in this wonderful chapter, we would see that that the prophet Isaiah is talking about maintaining justice. He's describing how that the people of God need to welcome folks like the outsider, like, like the eunuchs. People who feel damaged and excluded. Jesus looked at the temple and though it, it looked good and the, it was filled with a lot of activity, he was saying that the Jewish nation had largely forgotten why they were called. They would for, had forgotten that God was going to use this people to be a blessing to all people. He was going to use this people to welcome all, to include all. And they developed an unhealthy exclusivity. They were to welcome folks who felt damaged. They were welcome those who maybe they might consider outsiders. This was to be a house of prayer for all the nations. That was God's vision for his people then, and, and honestly, it's God's vision for his people right now. And if we're not careful, God's, we can fall into the same trap of God's people then. We can think that what we do, it's, it's all about us, or, or, and we can become exclusive and self-contained. And if we're not very diligent, we, we forget our sense of purpose and mission. And yet we're, as the church, to be a, a place of prayer for all nations. I think we can all agree that these last few days have been extremely difficult for our community. Some in our church lost homes. Others, their homes are severely damaged. 
our young families, their kids were scared. They were scared. It's a horrible, horrible night. But sometimes when we experience a horrible tragedy as we have, it has a way of reminding us that what we're to be about as a church. We can get so focused on insider stuff, on small stuff, that if we're not careful, we, we forget what God has called us to be as his church. I've seen this past week our church, I think, be reminded again that we're a group of people that's called to be a blessing to our community, and you have been. As Jesus is speaking these words, these hard words to his people, he is saying, you're not living up to what I want you to be as a church or as a community of faith. I think what we experienced this past week has reminded us again of what God is calling us to be and to do. So I saw a lot of you take off work and go help people in your neighborhood. I saw life groups care for one another. I saw elders and ministers calling members just to ask if they're okay and can we pray for you. I saw incredible generosity as a lot of you began writing checks and saying, how can we be a blessing? How can we help other people? And I couldn't help but think, that's exactly what Jesus has in mind when he calls us as his people to be a house of prayer for all the nations. What we come to understand is that it's ultimately not about us, and it's ultimately not about now. When we go through a difficulty like this, we're reminded that, that, that we're looking forward to that new heaven and new earth. We're reminded that one day Jesus is going to make everything right and set everything right. This week, as I've been thinking about those things that Jesus is unhappy with, and he's unhappy when we get sort of self-focused as a group like his people were back a couple thousand years ago, there's one other verse that came to my mind about a moment in the ministry of Jesus when Jesus got angry. And it's often a passage of Scripture that we overlook. And yet I thought it's so apropos for this morning. It's a passage of scripture that comes right before Jesus last week. It comes out of John chapter 11, where, where these two sisters that he was close to were concerned about their brother, Lazarus. Lazarus was very sick, so they called Jesus to come. And Jesus takes his time, and Lazarus has already passed away by the time Jesus gets to where Mary and Martha were, in Bethany, by the way. And when Jesus sees these grieving sisters, he, he weeps. Shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty three 33, says Jesus wept. It's John eleven thirty five. 35. But Jesus has another response. And often it's a response that we overlook. In John eleven thirty three, 33, it says, He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Uh, that's really a pretty uh, soft translation of that, of that idea, that phrase. Eugene Peterson in the message translates it better when he translates it. Deep anger welled up in him. I want to know what was it in this moment that made Jesus so angry? And I think it's the same thing that makes us angry at times. We look around at our world and we know things aren't as it should be. We look at racial injustice. 
or we look at people who are suffering. We look at people who are experiencing difficulty. I think Jesus is angry that this tornado was let loose in our area. What was it that makes Jesus angry? It's the same thing when we experience trauma and heartache and difficulty. We have this sense of injustice down deep in our hearts. We say, this is not the way things should be. He's angry ultimately at Satan. He's ultimately mad, uh, angry at sin because because of Satan and sin that's unleashed some, some things in our world that we experience and that push up against us. He's, he's angry about all of that. He looks at these two grieving sisters, Mary and Martha, and he sees the depth of their pain. And that, that hurts him in a deep way, and he's angry about it. But here's what I know. I know there's coming a day when Jesus is going to set everything right. Though we live in a world right now that's fallen and broken, and so we receive news like cancer, our loved ones die, we experience what we experienced this past week, like a tornado ravaging through our area that causes so much pain. Here's what I know. There's coming a time, brothers and sisters. There's coming a day when Jesus is going to make everything right. He's going to give us a body that doesn't wear out. He's going to create this new heaven and new earth where we will live forever, where we will not experience what we experienced last week. There's coming a day when there will be no more tornadoes and no more destruction and no more death. But until that moment, he's calling us as his people to serve others, and to love others and to point people to Jesus. Can we let this moment call us back to what God has called us to be? A church that loves each other. A church that loves our world. A church that holds the gospel out to people who in moments especially like now need the hope that only comes from the gospel. He's calling us to be a place of prayer for all the nations. So maybe this morning you've come into this place and, and you, need, you need someone to pray with. We're going to sing a song. Let this song be a, a way to minister to you and let this time be a a moment of, of ministry. We'll have elders and their wives in the very back. Oh, they would love to pray with you. I'll be down front. We would love to help you in any way that we can. Maybe to encourage you, maybe to bless you, just to pray for you, to say, you know, God's got this. God's in control. God's still on the throne. God's going to set everything right. But it's okay to feel what you're feeling right now. We honor that and we honor you. Today, if you have a need, we can help you.